We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast. Up the Duff is a podcast for fertility seekers and those who are curious about procreation. Join us as we speak to experts and hear from real people on their fertility journeys. We ask the hard questions and help them navigate to solutions on the sometimes bumpy road that is to parenthood. This episode, we chat to Melissa Hemsley. And just a heads up and a trigger warning, we do discuss miscarriage and pregnancy loss. For Melissa, the journey to parenthood really was one of self-discovery as well, with a subsequent surprise diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder and ADHD. We chat to her about mindset and the difficulty of trying. I was so depressed after the second. I mean, of course, any loss and any grief could trigger anxiety, depression. She also opened up about her struggles with anxiety and early pregnancy and some of the things that got her through following her miscarriages. My boyfriend said, you smile every time you projectile vomit. And it's because I kept saying to myself, it's got to be a good sign. Melissa being the bubbly, lovely person that she is, she shares the highs and lows of her fertility journey. And I think you are going to love this episode. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Up the Duff podcast. Thank you so much. From London to, where are you right now? We are Sydney, Australia. Oh my God. I would love to be in Sydney with you. What's the weather like? It's not so great here. It's quite cold and windy. So <laughs> I've got that post-morning walk buzz because I woke up at five did a bit of work and then went for a walk, which I felt was quite Sydney of me. Very Sydney of you. <laughs> <laughs> but you live such a healthy lifestyle and I've been following you on Instagram for as long as Instagram has been around, really. You mm. were one of the pioneers of this whole food, sharing your recipes, photographing your food and sustainability movement. For those of you that don't know who you are, do you mind introducing yourself? Well, I'll say I'm Brit's friend from 15 years ago. We met in London. Were Jazz and I private chefing then when we met you? Not yet, just about to. Because actually, I think we ended up going to Sydney. I didn't see you in Sydney, but I met up with Jazz in Sydney and we were so inspired by the lifestyle, the fact that you could get so many interesting fermented foods, probiotics, goats, yogurt, farmer's markets. So I think Sydney, well, not I think, I know Sydney definitely played a role in us starting a business. But yeah, for anyone that doesn't know me, I'm, I'm sure everyone's going, who is this fast-talking, sweaty British girl? Um, yeah, my name's Melissa. I'm 38. I am nine months pregnant today, which is very exciting. After we chat, I'm going to the hospital for a little tape measurement um, and a little checkup. I live with my boyfriend, Henry, who's an art. He's currently in New York. Just great. Just be in New York while I'm nine months pregnant. Uh, my dog, Nellie, who's scratching at the door, so I think I'll go and get her in a minute. She's nine. Uh, we've been doing some dog training with her to get her used to the buggy. She's terrified of the buggy. I'm terrified of the buggy. And I write cookbooks. I've written five. I'm really interested in the connection between food and mood. Uh, I was as part of my fertility journey, I was diagnosed with ADHD and generalized anxiety disorder when I was exploring different modalities of trauma release work and grief work, which has been incredible uh, to understand myself better. 
And yeah, my baby's gonna is an IVF baby, so we we went down that route. Um, and I yeah, and I I just feel really passionate about um, giving back my experience because I read up on so many people's experiences and 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 searched out podcasts like yours. Like if if your podcast had existed nine months ago, I would have. I would have been waiting for it to download. So I'm so happy you're doing this, Britt. I'm so excited for you. Thank you for offering this to the universe and letting me be in your first season. And thanks so much for giving us your time. Obviously, you know, your time is so limited now. You're about to become a mama, um, which is really exciting. And so my first question to you, I guess as a foodie, is what has been your weirdest pregnancy craving or aversion? Well, the aversions, I think, are more unfortunate because I couldn't, I couldn't eat a vegetable. I couldn't think about a vegetable. I couldn't look at a vegetable. I couldn't hear the word broccoli without actually full-on projectile vomiting. So I ate a lot of cheese toasties for about three months. I had a little worry at one point after the sort of week 15 going, I don't think my baby's getting any vegetables, but... Of course, I knew I had a good base from before and I, I couldn't make myself eat a vegetable. So I didn't. And your body just does different things. I mean, look at, look at my chest. I've had these popped out veins since almost the day after IVF. Like it's just wild what your body does and doesn't do and what pops, what doesn't. Um, I'm into the thing now where I'm getting the leg cramps and I'm, I was having a little moan about it and someone said to me, I've had those leg cramps since week 15. Count yourself lucky you're only getting them at 36. It's fascinating. So yeah, all of the foods I loved that I thought I'd enjoy, because I love them, I couldn't stomach, which is a little bit frustrating as a chef. I couldn't cook, couldn't be around food. Um, but yeah, cheese. And I've always loved cheese, but cheese is definitely what my body wanted. The dairy cravings that you're talking about. Oh, my God. Well, it's it's such a common trend in everyone that I speak to in clinic and online. Like everyone, for some reason, in the first trimester, they lean into dairy. And, you know, dairy and carbs is their savior. And like you said, you'd done the foundational work. You'd eaten a lifetime worth of vegetables, which I know because I've seen what you eat on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) beforehand. So you'd done the legwork, you'd prepared your body. And so you could just listen to your body and eat cheese toasties (laughs) for the first 15 weeks. So... Yeah. yeah, and I think that even if I hadn't done the foundation work, I just kept saying to myself, don't give yourself anything to worry about. So, you know, a, a little part of me was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm so tired. Is this a good sign? Is this a bad sign? Oh, my gosh, I feel this or I don't feel this. Is this a good sign or a bad sign? You know, everything I just kept trying to go, just go with the flow, which I find incredibly hard to do. Um and so, you know, with all the cliches in the world, they say, isn't it, like your baby, even before it's born, is teaching you so many lessons. And I just said to myself, I'm not going to worry about what I'm eating. My my baby is 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 healthy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to my body. My body my body wants cheese. Gonna enjoy that cheese, specifically cheddar cheese. Because if you remember yeah. from the UK, Brit, we do we do cheddar cheese really good here. I think I live. 
I lived off a Pret cheddar cheese sandwich pretty much every day when I was living in London, so can vouch for that. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about the road to IVF and the journey um, which you were on and how you landed there. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, I think that in my head I had always thought of IVF as something over here that I hoped I wouldn't need. And when I dissected why I hoped I wouldn't need it, a couple of things threw up. Obviously, the cost, because we have the National Health Service here, which does offer IVF, but you have to meet specific criteria, a specific timescale, and it was the pandemic. So, you know, it was incredibly hard to get any kind of medical support because it was a case of survival for for both the mental health of the medical professionals and trying to get through stuff and beds and equipment and drugs. Um, so there was that, the time, the scale, who would do it? Would I have to go? Would I have to pay privately? Would I go NHS? The feeling that, and I understand now that a lot of people may feel this way, is that it doesn't have to feel like the last resort. Like you, I now understand that I didn't need to think of it as the last thing to happen. Um, and I think my boyfriend and I were thinking, oh my gosh, let's just try and do it naturally, you know, whatever that means. But to be honest, even before we started the IVF protocol, I was on a lot of assisted reproductive support anyway, um, which in many ways, by the time I started the IVF and read the so-called horror stories of how hormonal you feel, how bloated, I was actually like, I felt worse before. Actually, the, the, the drugs that I was put on the year and a half before, which weren't called IVF, but they were like a fertility support, I felt worse off, to be honest. So um, in the end, we sadly had two pregnancy losses and I lost, um, I'm going to say the babies, because for ages I would say like the embryos or fetuses, but for me, I already had that connection. They felt they were babies. Um, I lost them quite early on, before 12 weeks. So I feel thankful that I didn't uh, get too far. Having said that, I now know that your body feels that connection so early on or may feel that connection. So for ages, I kept saying, oh, well, it's only, I only lost them at 10 weeks. So, you know, I don't really deserve your sympathy, but actually, no. So, um, but what did come up was it felt, it, I was sort of told that both of them, though they were early miscarriages, I had quite complicated, the, the, the miscarriage um, aftermath was quite complicated in that I retained a lot of matter. So why it might have been simpler for others, not all, to um, release everything and then maybe be ready to start again a cycle later, mine were a little bit complicated, which was a bit frustrating because I felt like I wanted to get back on the horse and I kept going, well, what's wrong? And as with so many things with fertility, as you know, it's unexplained. So that's frustrating, especially if you like to control, that can be hard to deal with. But um, I decided after two losses and lots of trying um, that I wanted to try freezing my eggs because I thought I'm 37. Oh, sorry, I was 36 at the time. And I, the pressure was building and the anxiety was building. And I thought, would I feel more relaxed if I had, if I froze some eggs, froze some embryos now? 
like, and I just sat with that for a while and I was like, yes, do you know what? It, it, whatever happens, I think it would support me. So we talked about it and we decided to pay for it because at the time I wasn't eligible. Um, and then we did that spring this year. Gosh, that feels like a long time ago. And then unfortunately I had, uh, something that had to be taken out of me which may or may not have been a product of the miscarriage or some related to the drugs I was on. So then I had to have, I had to go under and have surgery. And guess what? It had gone. So remember everyone, if someone wants you to have surgery, make sure you have a scan the day before or the day off because I went under for no reason whatsoever. So that's a real lesson learned. Wow, that's, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I came out of surgery and my gynecologist was like, it's gone. I was like, great. And he was like, oh, it wasn't even there. It must have just gone like two days ago. Anyway. Well, I hope you didn't have to pay for the surgery. <laughs> that's another conversation to be had. Um, but I'll tell you what I did do. And I think maybe, um, you know, and I've been doing this long term for three or four years, is uh, regular acupuncture. And I'm still doing it now. Um, regular therapy both talking therapy and trauma release therapy. I really, really feel that trauma release therapy, body work, somatic movement has helped me because I've done lots of therapy and retreats and exploration and they're amazing. But I know myself, There's there was stuff that needed to come out. And I would say if anyone is not in a position to uh pay for because unfortunately these things are expensive and and also hard to find the practitioners one great thing that i was taught was to shake your body so you can people can look up shaking or even if you don't want to shake which is just literally moving your body to music you could just dance so yeah put on a song and dance and move your body you know separate from exercise because exercise is obviously amazing but i think yeah moving your body for three to four minutes is really good what about oh, you do you shake <laughs> yeah well interestingly you asked I actually went to a, a cap um session which is a kundalini activation process last um mm -hmm. weekend and you shake to music um so that that's a different conversation <laughs> to well, be had another day but you, you would love it um google cap um uh, process or okay. um, facilitation, incredible. Okay. Um, but I want to go. I want to talk more about you know the releasing the this the releasing um, process and the process of grieving those two miscarriages. Yeah. And then how do you deal with the anxiety going into your now pregnancy, which you know you're nine months yeah. now. You're. <laughs> I, do, I. You know what I. I, interestingly, I said that I was going to write about it as I went. And actually, I wrote my first newsletter. If anyone wants to read it, I'll share it with you. And then I, my, my colleague was like, oh, you, you're about to give birth and we haven't done part two, three or four. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know why, but I haven't, well, I know why. I haven't quite digested it, which is then why I can't. And actually maybe the typing it out or the writing it out will help me digest it. But then again, I've tried to listen to my body and gone, you know what, maybe my body doesn't want to look back right now. Maybe it's focused on being present. Uh, so maybe there's something there. But 
I, one of the other reasons I decide, my partner and I decided to go uh, forward with the IVF is because I was so depressed after the second. I mean, of course, any loss and any grief could trigger um, anxiety, depression, um, sad, all kinds of sadness, rage. Uh, it can throw up so much. But um, you forget that your body is so full of hormones as well. And I didn't quite realise. So you kind of, you kind of, I, I, I sort of look back now and I feel really sorry for myself because I kept saying, oh, it was only 10 weeks and, you know, it wasn't like people that lose a baby at six months. But of course, one, I was already connected. Two, the hormones were there. The hormones keep coming even after the loss, which you don't realise. Um, and you've already like forward planned a life. So, and then you're scared. What if it happens again? So, um, we did quite a lot of, there's an amazing woman that I work with called Donna Lancaster, D-O-N-N-A-L-A-N-C-A-S-T-E-R. She has a bunch of online retreats and workshops, but I did one of her very last just before the pandemic. She's closed it now. Retreats called The Bridge. Um, and it's about coming home to yourself. Um, and she, she got me into shaking. She got, well, she got me into so much. She got me into shaking. She got me into, um, what she calls anchoring. So I have a little book and whenever I do something, I mean, it sounds mega cheesy, but I'm going to go, I'm going to say it. Whenever I do something that is something that I wouldn't have done before, like stand up for myself, hold a boundary, keep a boundary, not back out from a boundary, um, say no when I mean it, say yes when I mean it, um, let someone know when I'm not comfortable with something, whatever. She will say to me, have you written it in your anchor book? And I go, no, I forgot. And she'll go, go and write it because you know what? Don't bother ever reading it, but you're like patting yourself on the back every time you write down something that you never would have done before that you, you did for yourself. So she taught me anchoring, shaking, and one thing I adore more than anything is she taught me the power, or she reminded me of the power of rituals. So we all know rituals, funerals, weddings, blowing out candles on cakes, cheersing after some good news. And so she did things called, there was a, a like a kind of saying goodbye to your baby ritual. Henry and I cut, it's a whole process and I don't want to tell too much about it because it's really special, but you know, it involved actions like cutting it involved writing it involved burning and we did it together and it was so lovely so she sort of sent me the ritual and we didn't do it for a while because I kept I, I guess I wasn't ready um so there was a lot of rituals involved and even before that um you know I I, I still I still look back on my pregnancy losses and feel sad and you know I gave them names um yeah I, there's, there's so much. It's so you're so no. right about the rituals in those important points of your life. There, you know, there's a, a ritual for everything. For you know, the birth of a child, the christening. We have birthdays, yeah. we have anniversaries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think, yeah, that's beautiful that you were able to give your two babies, uh, you know, a, yeah. a, a day and a, a ritual and something to mark yeah. and you know yeah. celebrate their short life. Yeah. And I, you know, I've got a friend staying at the moment and uh, we were talking 
you know, she said to me, um, are you like, how are you feeling? Cause she knew I was turning nine months this morning and we were catching up last night. And I said, well, I'm like, I can't wait to meet her. But I also feel like I've met her. Oh, I've told you she's a girl now. There we go. <laughs> and, um, uh, I feel, I, I kind of like, I'm really enjoying her being in me, especially because I didn't even tell you this. I was sick constantly till 22 weeks. And then I have then intermittently been sick up until now, even. But so there was like 22 weeks where I couldn't stop being sick. And I kind of, my boyfriend said, you, you smile every time you projectile vomit. <laughs> and it's because I kept saying to myself, it's got to be a good sign. It, it means she's alive. You know, before you feel the kicks and the flutters, you know, she's got to be okay. She's got to be okay if she's, if she's, if she's um, making me sick. Anyway, so I'm sort of enjoying this moment of her being in me. And then I also can't wait for her to be out in my life. Also with rituals, do you know, Britt, the book, um, uh, the fourth trimester and then the book, Nine Golden Months? Have you read I love, them? I love both those books. Okay, so I haven't read, I've only started reading the fourth trimester. One, because I haven't had much time. So this lady wrote the fourth trimester. I think it's actually a collective of three women. There's one main author. The fourth trimester, the idea being that sort of 30, 40 days uh, or more after birth is so sacred and important. And in terms of rituals, is something that women have been doing for millennia all around the world. So in Mexico, they call it uh, quarantina, which is literally quarantine, 40 days. Um, in Ayurveda, they do 40 days. Uh, in, in, in almost every culture, the woman is cocooned, right? Is there anything in the Filipino culture? I know there's F Malaysia and China. Is there yeah. anything that you yeah. do? Yeah. Well, my, yeah, the, 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 the women, it tends to be the women, old, young, all gather around. And obviously they're there tending before um, and being around in the, pre in the pregnancy. But this idea being afterwards that the, the, the mother should cocoon, the baby wants to carry on cocooning because it's being cocooned and that the mother, and that it takes a village and that everybody comes together and the mother shouldn't expend any energy or get cold, uh, cooking, cleaning, doing things and actually should stay in bed and be with the baby. So it's like taking care of the mother. So that book I kept hearing about, um, the fourth trimester. And then I realized that she had then written, they had written a book called nine golden months. Uh, and I think there's another one maybe for the first year of the baby's life. So the nine golden months I really enjoyed because I thought what a lovely thing to say. And when you're, when you're anxious and you're puking and you're just going to midwife appointments and you're scared to tell people, but you're desperate to tell people, it's so lovely to think of that, the nine golden months, like not to kind of put a halo on it and think they're all perfect because I definitely have felt many, many ups and downs. But it is a really special, special time. And, you know, this is my first baby. Maybe it'll be my one and only. Um, and I have wanted it for so long. And it's, I thought I'd document it all. I thought I'd take more pictures and write it down and share more. But actually, maybe it's a good sign. I've actually been present in it. And I actually think... I think you're the only podcast I've talked about in it. 
and I really wanted to do it with you because I'm, you know, we we haven't we haven't caught up for so long, and you were, you know, such a lovely person to me, like a big sister, 15 years ago. And maybe again, it felt like you asked me at the right moment. At the right moment, we found time. I let you down by getting the time wrong yesterday. <laughs> Brit, Brit, in her patience. I'm not going to say baby brain, but I will say baby brain. And you know, uh, it just feels like maybe things it maybe feels like i'm tuning in to stuff more this podcast is sponsored by es fertility es fertility has set a new standard for nutraceuticals for reproductive health they are leading the way with their science-led formulations but don't just take our word for it make sure you learn more by hitting the link in our show notes it's interesting that you talk about surrendering and that, you know, pregnancy and this whole journey has helped you sort of almost surrender to a higher power and you describe it as a roller coaster, which, you know, is somewhat uncontrollable as well. Um, Do you so, think yeah, and all the maternal brain changes as well that happen during pregnancy. I mean, they yeah. say after you give birth, your brain also changes um, substantially. Well, right. They say that if you do an MRI on 10 women, you can identify straight away who, who are the mothers because the hypervigilant risk part. Deer in the headlights you, kind of vibe. <laughs> do you feel that you have um, surrendered more? Um, I'm just interested to know. I, I mean, I'm trying not to forward think what I'll yeah. be like. But I am interested to know whether, you know, in six months' time, if I messed up a podcast appointment or missed an appointment or got the time wrong, if I will go, I've got enough, to, I've got enough, you know, will I, will I beat myself up as much um, or not? What, what do you think it has felt like for you? I don't know. It certainly changed my brain and, you know, it's triggered things and it's made some things better. Um, you... Yeah, it's heightened some of my anxieties in some ways, but in other ways it's really drawn me in and made me more present as well. I think mm. it's interesting that you spoke about you were supposed to document your whole pregnancy journey, but you haven't. It sounds like you've actually just been in the moment um, yeah. and enjoying the process, which, you know, is certainly something I see now that I'm a mum, certainly more in the moment and not thinking what's next. I'm thinking what's happening right now and what's going yeah. on around me but then at the same time I'm thinking god I need a coffee there's a child crying over there that one's about to fall <laughs> off the slide and there's someone behind me about to run into me with a scooter <laughs> oh wow oh, <laughs> it's amazing god. how our brains adapt and our senses are heightened you did talk about the village and I've actually written down this quote because I love this yeah. quote from you this is your quote. I've heard many times that it takes a village to raise a child but I didn't realize that sometimes it takes a village to make a child yeah it sounds like you've had some incredible support and experts so on your much. journey to becoming a mother and a parent yes. how do you find that village and how do you find that team well I want to say again I really want to acknowledge the privilege that I have you know I'm, I'm in a city where these people there are more people offering or I found it easier and I want to acknowledge the privilege that I have spent an awful lot of money, uh, which which is also added to my anxiety because um, I would like to take maternity leave, um, but I work for myself and it's just not going to be possible. I need to keep earning. Uh, so, but that's another story. Um, 
so how did I find them? Well, well, first of all, I will also say that even though I live in London, lots of these people are in London, some aren't, but I see a lot of them on Zoom um, and online. So I want to just throw that out there if anyone's interested in these people and uh, or people like them and think, oh, I, I don't have access or won't be able to travel to them. So one amazing woman, um, I was speaking to a nutritionist because I have hypothyroidism. So I've got the sluggish thyroid and that had been identified for a while, but no one had really flagged that when trying to get pregnant or going through pregnancy losses, it would affect, you know, such a sensitive gland that it would be so affected. So it would need constant monitoring. So I would say if anyone, um, you know, actually, I won't say because I'm not a medical professional, but I think the thyroid is definitely something to keep an eye on if anyone is has not kept an eye on their thyroid before. Um, so I was speaking to a nutritionist about thyroid, um, and then she said, you know what, there's this functional doctor, she's got a massive waiting list, so why don't you get on it? And I got on the waiting list, and it took about eight months, and then we had our first appointment, and in our first appointment, sadly, I said to her, oh, I'm nine weeks pregnant, 10 weeks pregnant. And she was like, great. And I said, but you know, I've got some cramping, but it's not like my last miscarriage. And she went, what kind of cramping? And then she said, can you get off the phone and go to the hospital? And then I was having a miscarriage. So that was our first session. But I was like, oh, I don't need you anymore because I'm actually pregnant. Um, anyway, she was absolutely amazing. And one thing I will say that she said to me, uh, when we caught up a few weeks later was, she said, before you start IVF, would you wait six months, eight months and work with me and let's get you mentally and physically past this second miscarriage and, and let's do some exploration so that when you start IVF, we can get you to a place. And I remember just crying and going, no, I'm not going to wait eight months. I can't wait eight months. I need to feel like I'm in control, that my I, I'm not wasting eight months. And I think some people have shared with me, and I, I hadn't quite realized it, that I used to, every time a birthday rolled around or Christmas or a major event, Mother's Day, I'd go, I'm still not pregnant. Am I going to be pregnant next year? Is it going to happen for me? And I was like, I can't do eight months of this. And I said, I can't not try for eight months. And she said, she's amazing, but Melissa, you are trying. You are trying. Even when you're not trying and having intercourse, you are trying. This is trying. So I really wanted to share that because, you know, it doesn't mean, trying to make a baby doesn't mean having sex at the right time. It can mean lots of things. So anyway, I trusted her because she was amazing. Um, and she is amazing. And I, I followed her protocol and I also carried on exploring my own mental health. And when I went to go and have some therapy for the miscarriages, they the guy said to me, he was a psychologist, has anyone ever thought you might have ADHD? And I said, no, nope, no one's ever said that. And he said, well, if you would be up for it, I'd like to refer you to a psychiatrist who can diagnose ADHD, a psychologist in the UK can't. And I did, and she diagnosed me. And there's medication available for ADHD, should you want to, but it's actually not fertility safe. So that was never an option. But it's allowed me to help tailor some of my other therapies and just understand myself. Mm. So I think that's why I got super cross with myself for messing up our podcast time, because um, I have a lot of 
uh, rituals, I guess, in place to stay in control. And so yeah. when I thought I messed up or got it wrong, it, 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 it impacted me by going, oh gosh, you know, your, your systems aren't right or what you've created. Yeah. One last piece of advice that you would give to people who are struggling to conceive, what would you say to them? I can't do one brick because you know I'm a rambler. So I'm going to just say a couple of them and you can pick out which one you like best. I would say um, keep listening to podcasts like this with you, Britt. And once they've raced through all your episodes, keep keep finding others. Like go for long walks and listen to the positive stories. Oh, and obviously the sad stories because that is, you know, with every positive story, we know there's going to have been sad times before, but... That really helped me, hearing women talk to other women and share. And that's really why I wanted to do this with you, because I thought I got so much from listening to other people's podcasts. So keep listening and call it research. You know, you don't have to go and buy a medical book or go and see every nutritionist or functional doctor. Like, listen to this stuff. There'll be bits. You can't do it all. You can't do all the tips, but you can pick out the ones that will work for you. So I would say that's, that's your, that's part of your research, listening and finding ways to take in the information. So if you're super stressed or you think that listening to something like this in the morning before you go to work is maybe going to be triggering, don't listen to it in the morning. You know, I would maybe listen to things like this in the weekend on a walk and things like that. Um, same sort of thing, journal. So write down when you're angry my one of my therapists say play really angry music or music that makes you sad if that helps you and write it if you don't want to write it shake it if you don't want to shake it cry it do whatever you need to do to release sadness and anger and then I would say if you want to talk to your friends do but if you don't I think what's been really healthy for me to say to some friends and some friends have said to me I'm going through fertility stuff but you know what? I don't want to talk about it, but I just want to let you know that I am. And I'll tell you if I want to talk about it. So I've got one friend that says things like that to me, which is amazing. I wait for her to bring it up and then we talk about it, but she doesn't like being asked about it constantly. Uh, for me, I didn't want to talk about it that much. And so I talked about it with my partner or a therapist. And then I realized actually I did want to speak to my girlfriend. So I think my ultimate piece of advice is do what feels right for you because it is such a unique experience. Um, and I guess the other thing I want to say, but I don't want it to come across annoyingly because it can come across annoyingly is, but I'm going to take, take my functional doctors, which is, you know, it's so tempting to rush, but if like me, rushing makes you more anxious and more panicked, remember that, my doctor said you know everything is trying so try not to put a I need this to happen by this time because actually it's all trying and it's all helpful and it's and ultimately whatever you can tweak in your life that you hope will lead to a healthy baby know that ultimately you're looking after yourself better with every tweak so I think if you can focus on yourself first that would be good. So I, I really tried to focus on myself. <laughs> what a ramble. So many gems there, so many good words of wisdom. I love the that everything is trying because yeah. it is tricky for people to take a step back 
And to because I always say to people, okay, you've got to take egg quality supplements, for instance, for at least three months in order for them to work. So we're going to have to give it some time. And obviously IVF can't improve egg quality. Um, so it is important that we get that right before egg retrieval. So I, I'm yep. going to use that. I'm going to take that oh. <laughs> that quote from your integrative doctor. <laughs> I also want to say one last thing because we didn't even talk much about partners because how can we in a 40 minute episode? But I, I knew that, well, some people say, you know, making a baby is 50, 50, 50. And some say it's 33, 33, 33. It's you, your partner and the baby. But I will, if I had to do it again, I would have, here's me saying I would have, you know, checked on my thyroid a bit more. I would have asked my partner to go get checked. Now, we still don't know what's the reason for ours, but it made me, when we did get him checked, and, and my partner is, is, is the man, so um, we know that sperm regenerates constantly, so you might have a great test. One, you know, some people are like, oh, if, you've, if, if your partner's had a great test, you don't need to check it for two or three years. Now, I understand now that's not true at all. A lot can change for the men. So I think remember that. Um, and also by him getting tested, it may, it felt like more of a level playing field. It didn't feel like it was just me going through all the tests. We could keep an eye on what he was doing. And when he had one test that was, you know, could do with some, a little bit of work on sperm quality improvement, it helped him kick into healthier habits. He looked after himself better, which then in tow made me feel less alone. Here's me trying to go to bed early and he would stay up all night uh, working because he's a workaholic. So it kind of leveled it. It helped us as a household live a more holistic life because it felt like we were a team as opposed to me going, do you know what? I'll just really work really hard on my eggs <laughs> or my stuff until someone says it's his problem or his thing to change. Whereas actually, if we're going back to the whole thing of like, look after yourself. If we both look after ourselves individually as a team, it's only going to lead to more positivity, whatever the outcome. Yeah, definitely. Get Try to get your partner involved and allow them to see like, I wish I'd been more vulnerable. I wish I'd said, I'm scared. Can we try and do all these things just so I can feel like we've covered the bases? Whereas I was like, I'm going to take responsibility for myself and do all the tests myself and, you know, if, if there's something wrong with me, then I'll deal with it. And if there's not, then we'll work on you later. So I wish I'd just been vulnerable and gone, you know what, if you do that test, that will make me feel like that's one thing off the list. And if you if you could share this with me, that would be better. Quite hard to be vulnerable when you feel like, you know, we've got to be strong and do all the things that people say we need to do. I think I wish I'd said a bit more, I'm a bit scared. Can you help me? Can you help me? <laughs> That's such good advice. And I guess just saying, can you help me is, yeah, yeah. is yeah. a really great way of getting men on board and playing their role in the reproductive journey. And I want to say one last thing, Britt, I'm so sorry, because I have friends that are doing this alone and they've said to me the same thing. They've said they wish they asked for help from their friends, their wider friends, maybe a colleague a bit sooner as well. So I think uh, for those that are maybe listening and they uh, want to know how to better support, they could say something like, I know you're going through this. Do let me know when I can be more helpful or when you want me to not talk about it. So I think that's a good one in general for any kind of life challenge, isn't it? Yeah. I'm here for me, but also I don't want to ask you each time. So please tell me when you need me and I'm here for you. 
such great advice. Thank you so much, Melissa, for being oh, vulnerable for and sharing your IVF roller coaster and your journey to motherhood. I do wish you all the best. Will you keep us Thank posted? You. I can't wait yeah. to see a photo on Instagram. Of- I can't wait to hear all your episodes and, yes. and hear from the people listening and hear from the people you've interviewed. And I'm really, really honoured to have been part of it. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Up The Duff podcast. We hope that this episode provoked some inspiration. Keep up to date with all things Up The Duff by hitting the subscribe button. And just a heads up, by request, we've started a Facebook group so we can continue the conversation over there. You can find the link in the show notes. Don't be shy. Leave us a review. And if you have a topic, question or expert that you would like us to interview, please slide into our DMs. You'll find all the links to our social pages in the show notes. 